0: Welcome to Book Bridges, the podcast of WordBridge Now, igniting a passion for diverse literature through live online author meetups, because words build bridges to unite. Today's Book Bridges is brought to you by our partners at Lee and Lowe Books. I'm your host, Angie Beimer-Johnson. WordBridge Now members gather monthly online to meet and to be inspired by diverse authors. It's like a book club with the author, During our author meetups, we get the inside scoop on powerful, diverse literature, breaking down barriers and uniting us across differences. What's coming up is just a taste of our full program with Dr. Elizabeth Santiago, author of The Moonlit Vine. Tai starts to learn about her family's Taino culture when her abuela gives her some mysterious artifacts of tremendous importance items that have been handed down for centuries. Ty and all of us learn about the real-life leaders and history of the indigenous people of Puerto Rico, all while working to keep her brother safe from gang trouble. Fans of The Hate You Give will love The Moonlit Vine.
1: Um, Let me give you a little bit of the context of the book, and then I'll tell you more about the story itself. But. It's a contemporary YA um, and it's of course out now. Uh, It's published by two books, which is an imprint of Lee and Lowe. And uh, as Angela mentioned earlier, um, they're a partner of this this, uh, broadcast, but also um, one of the largest multicultural children's book publishers. Um, And so I was honored that they chose this book to publish. Um, It's published in both English and Spanish, which is amazing. The Spanish version is called Claro de Luna, um, and that's also available. They came out at the same time, which I've learned is, is a rarity, um, but I was really happy that they they made that decision. Um, and I, at this point, don't know of any other YA novels that focus on the Native people of Puerto Rico or the Taíno people. And so a little bit more about the story, about the inspiration, about me. It's all intertwined, so I can't really um, dissect it all. But um, as a Puerto Rican woman myself, um, i had always been told and always believed that I was Taino. So my mother often, she she would say, nosotros somos Taino, Africano y, y Españoles, which means we're, we're part African, we're part uh, Native, and we're part uh, Spanish. Um, and I knew very little about the Native part of my identity. I knew a little bit more about the African part, and I knew a lot about the Spanish part, um, and so I went on a quest to learn as much as I could about the native people um, of Puerto Rico. And the dominant narrative at the time that I was really uh, researching and looking into things was that they did not survive. Um, they, they, the there was genocide, and of course, they, they were they disappeared. Um, <clears throat> but that's not the narratives that I had heard from elders, from people in uh, Puerto Rico, from my mom, who, you know, would tell stories of her grandmother and some of the things that she learned from her um, about culture and about, uh, you know, honoring the land and lots of things that just didn't fit with the other parts of my identity and uh, lots of things that uh, made me understand that there was more to this story um, that maybe... The Taino were still around within us. Um, and so that stuck with me for many years. I traveled to Spain uh, to, to see what I could find there. I didn't find very much. In fact, I was disappointed, but that's another story to write another day. Um, I traveled uh, to Puerto Rico many times and and, and learned a lot, but um, still never kind of got the answers I wanted. And so in 2018, I um, read an article published on the Smithsonian's website called Ancient DNA um, Contradicts Historical Narrative of Extinct Caribbean Taino Population. Um, And the article talked about a research project into the DNA of an ancient tooth uh, found in the Bahamas. And they uh, were able to track the migration of the Taino people uh, and through DNA of present day Caribbean uh, folks and they discovered that the Puerto Ricans had the most indigenous, uh, indigenous or Taíno DNA, um, and that sort of like shocked everyone. Like, oh, this, we wait a minute, we're still, we're still here, you know. And that was um, uh, just an eye-opening and empowering experience because what I had already known and what my elders were telling me and all of the stories that I believed um, and that I was brought up with. Um, now science backed it up, right? So I had, I had more to work with. And I felt like, wait, there's got to be, you know, more stories to tell. And so um, I, again, went, went down another rabbit hole of really researching, um, visiting uh, more of these petroglyphs. So these, these, this is a picture I took when I visited Utuado in uh, Puerto Rico. And if you ever get the chance to go, these are the the, uh the White Canyon um, and there's lots of Taino um, uh activity there um, it's such a beautiful ethereal place um, and so um I I wanted to to bring that to life in in a narrative and I just could not find a story that did uh, justice or that shared, what I had hoped to to learn, so I decided I would write that myself, and that's how the Moonlit Vine was born. I'm a huge fan of Toni Morrison, and she has a, a famous quote that says, um, "If there's a if there's a book that hasn't been written yet uh, that you want to read, you have to write it," and that's sort of the the, the impetus for for this story. Um, and I'm going to move to the next slide. So, but what is it really about? Uh, So I wanted a a metaphor to explain how our history was an oral one and it was passed down mostly through the matrilineal line. Um, And so uh, Anna Kaona, who is an actual historical figure, um, I I chose her as as the start of this ancestral line um, because she's well known in the Caribbean. um, And, you know, I'll talk a little bit more about her (laughs) in a moment, but she Um, is, again, just a powerful figure. And I wanted to to show unity amongst the Caribbean islands that have Taino ancestors, which include Haiti, Dominican Republic, Cuba, Puerto Rico, of course, and Jamaica. And so I was trying to to show that we all were unified in some way at that, you know, many, many years ago um, through the the use of Anaka'ona as a historical figure. Um, So that was one big part of it uh the vignettes so this this the book is told um through present day happenings of a young girl in in school uh, she's a 14-year-old my protagonist is 14 years old and her name is Taina or Tai. And um she uh, doesn't know very much about her history. Um and she learns that throughout the book and the readers learn that too because there are these historical vignettes that support what's happening in present day um, or starts to to build a history of of the native people and what they, these native women and what they went through to get these items, um, these objects to to keep them alive, um, to keep them going. Um, The objects are the metaphor for how history and how our, our culture was passed down through through the generations it's a story about finding personal power um, this young girl who doesn't you know has has a, a lot going on in her life and doesn't um always get seen uh, or always get the respect that maybe you know she she hopes for um and through her understanding of her history she finds her personal power uh which i again it's, it's an important message um and I also was thinking about how historical and generation generational trauma shows up in present day. It's a sort of a was a complicated concept for me to kind of even just attack in this kind of way. Um, but uh, I, that was a, a big part of why I wanted to put this together in the way that I did by showing this this historical um, these historical pieces and having people hand down these objects, also, again, as a metaphor for handing down some of this generational trauma um, that that uh, continues uh, in present day. Um, and then, you know, um, community is an important aspect of the book because Taina or Thai comes into her power um, and uh, not through her understanding of history, but also through her Um, connecting with people in her community and understanding that she was not alone and that they would come to her aid and support her. Um, And I I wanted to make sure that uh, as as a person who grew up in a vibrant community of, of, you know, sort of vibrant multicultural community, that the community has all the power to solve um, issues that are important to them by coming together. And I was trying to portray that um in in the final like in in the sto- in the entire story but most definitely in the final chapters of it, of the book so i'm just going to read a little bit from the prologue um, and and hopefully um, it all comes together so haragua 1496 caribbean island of ayiti present day haiti, haiti. higamoto knelt next to her mother who pulled two items from a pouch sitting on the belt wrapped around her waist a zemi and a gold amulet. Zemis, like the one Anakoona held, were carved representations of gods and were sacred objects for their people. This particular zemi was triangular in shape and sculpted to look like a frog, the symbol of fertility. The frog's legs had been chiseled along the sides until they intertwined at one of the points on the triangle. On the opposite side was a face, not a frog's face, but a human face, with a large gaping mouth. The gold amulet sat at the end of a string of small, perfectly round stone beads. On the front of the amulet, the figure of Atabe, the goddess of life, was engraved. If you live and are able to pass on your knowledge of who we are, our people will never die. And Akona handed the zemi to Higamota. It hummed in her hand, and it felt like it would rip through her palm. As soon as they kidnapped Kayanabo, I had this maid in the likeness of a frog to show fertility, but with a human face to show your father's dignity and wisdom. After he was executed, I went to the shamans and had them incorporate some of my lifeblood into this into it as a symbol of our struggle. Anna Kaona then placed the amulet in her daughter's hand. It felt as though it felt as if it had a heartbeat. I know the amulet is a little different, but these are not normal times. There is a way to open it with this little clasp here, but do not open it unless it's necessary. You must promise me that. I had the shamans extract my own strength and that of all the warriors who have come before me to place within the amulet. Keep it safe and pass it on to your daughter. The elders tell me that only my daughters will be able to unleash our protection, but they must do that when there is no other alternative. Otherwise the power will not be as strong. Any attempt Higamota had tried to make uh, to show emotional strength was forgotten. How will I know when to use it? She wailed. How will they know? You will know, Kona responded. You may not see it now, but one day you will have a daughter, and your daughter will have a daughter. You must be sure that this semi and amulet are kept safe and passed on to each. They all must learn of our ways, because you and you and they will have to hide who you are. Higemota began to protest. No, Anakona stopped her. It's the only way for us to survive now. We must hide, assimilate, learn. We must harness our power for when the time is right. Anakona closed her eyes, allowing the luminescence of the moon to fill and exalt her features. When she opened her eyes, she fixed them upon her only daughter. A sense of peace filled Higemota as she absorbed her mother's gaze and the love behind it. Anacona placed her fingers on Higamota's cheek and said, you tell your daughter that our people are the light that makes the night sky bright. We are the music that warms the heart and blesses the soul. We love proudly and we love fiercely. This is our power. You tell your daughter to never give up this power because one day we will rise and thrive again. Of this, I am absolutely sure. Um, but I wanna tell you a little bit about our main character, Tai. Um, and her abuela, or her grandmother. Uh, so, Taina and Ty, tai, um, you know, in it, you know, in this next excerpt that I'm going to share, um, it shows a little bit of the relationship she has with her grandmother, um, and we also get a little information about why she and her mother don't always get along. Um, they're very different people. But uh, I wanted a story about the young girls I grew up with and who are in my family, they have what you call, I, I always say call it an attitude. You know, they have always have something to say <laughs> and they're not afraid or shy to share their opinions but they're they also get clocked uh, for their attitude right they always you know somebody always says you gotta tone it down a bit you know you're that's too much um and i wanted her to be frustrated with that like you know wait a minute i have a voice why can't i use it um and to be questioning why she's being put in this restrictive kind of box but her grandmother is her champion hello uh first off
0: i just want to say that the book sounds really really good and it's the one I'm gonna add on to like the next book I read and then um I really like the aspect that you chose to write a book about your history that you didn't like know about so I really really like that because I know like I'll look a bunch for it and if I can't find it I'm just like you know darn I wish there was one but to actually go out and write one I think that that's really like motivational (laughs) so like I thought that was really cool
1: Thank you so much. No, I appreciate that. It it, it it's sort of like um uh it, it's something that stuck with me. I can't it, it could describe it anyway, that that sort of itch you can't scratch. Like I need to know more about this. I need to and I got to the point where I was hearing hearing voices, I mean you know, people talking to me like, you know, well, here's my story and here's this. And I, I just sort of went
2: with it. One thing that I'm really appreciating is they think it's so um sort of the history of contact with Europeans and indigenous people can be so like just like theoretical or like you can't like put your finger on or like what really happened for kids. And so I just really, really appreciate how you um used, as you said, your creative license to imagine what that really was like and populate it with real people. So that's just so powerful and so power what a powerful way to show how history still affects what's going on in our world now. So I wanted to say thank you. And then I have a question and that is, um, earlier this week I saw, there's an article in the Atlantic Magazine. Um, It was an interview with Charles Mann who wrote 1491. And it was a conversation about um, Columbus Day and then Indigenous Peoples Day. And um, his comment was, you know, maybe there's some people, OK, like instead of just having this sort of generic Indigenous Peoples Day, like perhaps we could actually honor some specific Indigenous people. And he did actually have a, a suggestion. And I'm not going to be able to. I'm sorry, my pronunciation is really bad. Is it is it called a cacique or how do you say that? Uh, word? A cacique. Cacique. And so he had a specific one. Uh, let's see. guacanari. Guacana Garrix? I'm not sure. Yeah,
1: Guacana Guacana Garrix. I, you know, it's funny. I was going to, like, that was someone I had thought if I could fit into the book, I
2: would, but I didn't. But anyway, I'm sorry. Okay. Well, that's my question. Like, who would you, who would you choose if instead of sort of just saying, oh, it's Indigenous People Day, like if we could maybe honor a specific person and, you know, maybe especially for someone who has European, um, background, who, who would you say would be a person to honor?
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I, I know if that kind of sound like a <laughs> repeating myself, but see, I have to go with Anna Kaona because like she, you know, women don't often get the, the praise or recognition, but she was, she was, excuse me, but kind of a badass. Like she, she really like did a lot for her people. She was known as a diplomat. So she was trying her best to uh, be that bridge between the Europeans and, and the native folks. Um, and it just like, it didn't work out for her in the end. I mean, they, they wanted to enslave her and do all this stuff, but, um, and, and she was executed eventually, but, um, but she, she really did a lot, uh, to try to, to, to keep things intact. And, um, so I, I definitely would have, would honor her.
0: Well, Liz, thank you so much. Just, um, we didn't even really, touch base about um, Ty's relationships with her teachers and the relationship of her little brother with the school and the problems that marginalized kids can have in schools can be traumatic in and of themselves. But wow, it just, the book does so much so well. Just, yeah, it was a joy. Did you know that you can be part of our full video recordings with our authors? If you wish you'd been live online with Liz to ask questions of your own, become a member at wordbridgenow.com. If you've had enough of the us versus them mentality, join us as we build bridges with words. See the link in the show notes. Thanks again to Dr. Elizabeth Santiago and to our partners at Lee and Lowe Books, about everyone for everyone. In the spirit of Words as Bridges, Take care.